2: Some things just can't be communicated. The the awesomeness of some things just can't be got across with audio alone. It's a limitation of the media. Radio, podcasts, overhearing someone on the bus. None of that can do justice to the hero who projected the word shithole over the entrance to the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. this weekend. If you didn't already see it, go search for it. Anyone... Entering the Trump international violation of the emoluments clause, hotel and influence peddling casino, had to walk under the word shithole and through a storm of poop emojis. Activist and artist Robin Bell is responsible for this snarky bit of resistance and a grateful nation salutes you, Robin. Bell's zap was a reaction to a protest against Trump's remarks earlier in the week during a White House meeting about immigration. The president of the United States called Haiti and African nations shithole countries during a meeting about immigration and wondered why we can't just bring in more people from Norway instead. If you're hearing about all this for the very first time, I hope you enjoyed your news and social media fast and that the bed in the soundproof room where you've been locked for the last week was comfortable. Two things I want to talk about. In relationship to this one quickly and this is getting overlooked because the outrage has focused quite rightly on what our racist asshole president said about Haiti and African nations but why on earth would anyone want to come to the United States from Norway free healthcare, free education generous pensions paid maternity leave paid paternity leave why would anyone want to leave all of that behind for our higher child poverty rates our higher infant mortality rates our gun nuts and our education and healthcare systems, both of which are designed to bankrupt you. Anyway, lots of people were speaking up against Trump last week while you were out there floating in that isolation tank, even a Republican or two. Mia Love, Republican member of Congress from Utah and the only black Republican woman in Congress, called Trump's statements racist and had this to say on The Lead, Jake Tapper Show on CNN. Your parents are immigrants from Haiti. You were the first Haitian American elected to the United States Congress. How did it feel to hear those comments from from the president?
3: Well, Jake, I can't defend the indefensible. It was really difficult to hear, especially because my parents were such big supporters of the president. And I think that um, we have to do everything we can to make sure that we are coming from a place of compassion and we're speaking from a place of kindness. I mean, that is the the at least uh, minimal standard here.
2: To be clear. It's not just Miss Love's parents who support Donald Trump, so does Miss Love. She has voted with Trump according to five thirty eight dot com ninety six point seven percent of the time. And love was, best as I can tell, silent when Trump was attacking Mexicans, Muslims, trans men and women waging a racist campaign against our first African-American president. And love was silent throughout Trump's racially charged, racially motivated, racially racist attacks on black NFL players, black members of Congress, black grieving gold star widows. Trump has been blowing a racist dog whistle into a bullhorn for the last two years. And Mia Love speaks up. Now, because Trump finally got around to attacking her, finally got around to attacking her and her parents, her Trump-supporting Haitian immigrant parents. And now she's shocked, shocked to find out that hatred is going on here, shocked and saddened and distressed, and so are her parents. Excuse me, but who did Love and her parents think they were voting for back in November? If compassion and kindness are, to quote me a love, minimal standards, How could you support Donald fucking Trump, who was clearly a racist piece of shit prior to last week and an accused sexual predator and someone who mocked a disabled reporter at a political rally in front of cameras and into a microphone? Mia Love didn't actively defend any of that so far as I can tell, but she didn't speak up against any of that either. Silence equals death, as AIDS activists once said, well, in Trump's America, silence equals acquiescence. Silence equals support. And Love hasn't just been supporting Trump with her silence. She's been supporting Trump, the racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic environment, despoiling, healthcare-imperiling Trump agenda with her votes as a member of Congress. Love's epiphany. Donald Trump, maybe not a nice guy, is another example of what I like to call the empathy gap, the failure of moral imagination that seems to be a defining characteristic of all card-carrying members of the conservative movement. We talked about this before. Rush Limbaugh believed that drug addicts and dealers should be thrown into jail until he got addicted to drugs himself. And now he supports treatment. Megan Kelly of Fox News, now of NBC, came around to support maternity leave after she got pregnant. Rob Portman was against gay marriage until his son came out. Then he's for gay marriage. It doesn't matter. It's not important until it happens to them. Your kid wants to get gay married. Fuck you. Fuck your kid. My kid wants to get gay married. I support gay marriage. Trump is attacking Mexicans and Muslims? Ah, fuck you. Fuck you both. Fuck y'all. Oh, Trump's attacking Haitians? My parents? Oh, that's a problem. Mia Love's comments got a lot of attention last week. But you know what? Go read Charles Blow's column in the New York Times headlined, Trump is a racist, instead. And definitely, while you're on NewYorkTimes.com, look up the piece by Roxane Gay, the one she wrote for the Times. Gay's parents are also Haitian immigrants who came to the United States seeking a better life, as they say. Gay's piece rejects uplift. She refuses to end it with calls to resist or by pointing to rays of hope. And Gay tells us instead to sit with the sorrow, the distress, and the national humiliation of Donald Trump. No one is coming to save us, Gay's piece concludes. Before we can figure out how to save ourselves from this travesty, we need to sit with that too. Blow and Gay have been speaking up and speaking out against Trump since he first announced his run in 2015. They're liberals, they're lefties, they're Democrats, they're progressives, and they didn't just start speaking up against Trump because Trump finally got around to attacking them or their parents. They've been speaking up as Trump has been attacking people all along, people, period. Anyone who only speaks up against Trump after he gets around to attacking you or your family, well, you've got something to sit with in addition to the humiliation, the national disgrace, the distress, the sorrow that is Donald Trump. You need to go sit with your complicity. All right. Coming up on today's show on the micro and Magnum, tons of your cues, lots of my And on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast this week, we have a very special guest, Cecile Richard, president of Planned Parenthood, is here to talk about the resistance also, Planned Parenthood note at itmfa.org and already.com. We are selling special ITMFA pink t-shirts and pink beanie hats, all proceeds from the sale of pink ITMFA gear go to Planned Parenthood. So if you want to support Planned Parenthood and support Cecile Richards, who is our guest today, go to itmfa.org. All right, let's get to the calls. Hey,
4: Dan. I am a gay male, 28 years old, from the Deep South. Um, I'm from an area of about 100,000 population-wise on the Arkansas-Texas state line. Um, I've been in one relationship before, but that was years ago. I've been single since 2013, and um, I'm also a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. The reason I am calling and what I wanted to ask about is I've recently reemerged in a gay social scene in my hometown, Um, probably, you know, 50 to 100 out gay people, but if you've lived here your whole life like I have, everybody knows you at least by name and face, typically. I've come back out after for the first time uh, to be around parties and stuff after I went to treatment and I've been sober for almost three years now. And uh, before, while I'm very sex positive, I think, and I've even got some kinks of my own when it comes to one-on-one, I've never been into three ways, um, but now I actually have the opportunity and uh, have been approached by several couples and I'm interested in maybe giving it a shot. Here's my actual question. You talk a lot about how prohibitive we are, or inhibitive, excuse me, uh, as sexual beings, and that things like smoking pot and other things can lower inhibitions. Do you have any good suggestions for people who are in recovery and do not use drugs or alcohol whatsoever to lower their inhibitions? Because there are things that now that I'm back in the social scene, I want to try or want to think about, and it just seems like it'd be a lot easier if I was still drinking or smoking weed, which I can't do anymore.
2: Congratulations on getting the help that you needed and congratulations on your three years of sobriety. That's huge and you should be very proud of yourself. And now I'm sitting here listening to your call and thinking about your question, feeling really guilty about all the times that I've recommended the shortcut around inhibitions. A little glass of wine, a little bit of pot can really help take the edge off and allow you to tap into your desires. Not so much wine or so much pot that you're destroyed and you are not capable of giving your consent and you're not actually in the moment or remembering anything that's happening to you. You don't want to obliterate yourself to to do the things that you want to do. Sometimes you just need to take that edge off and a little bit of pot or a glass of wine recommended by all sorts of the wine actually not the pot, recommended by all sorts of relationship experts and professionals, some with actual credentials. Yeah, it doesn't help people who are in recovery, people who are sober, don't have That shortcut available to them. So how do you do it? uh, What would my recommendation be for you? Well, it might take a little bit longer. I keep calling the pot and alcohol a shortcut in that situation. There are ways to wrestle with and overcome your inhibitions that don't involve drugs or alcohol, but may involve a greater investment of time. I'm thinking of meditation. I hear from a lot of people who are more and more into meditation. Sam Harris, blogger and writer, talks a lot about meditation, you may want to look into that. I don't know if there's an organization or a group or a temple in your community that has meditation classes, but check it out. Maybe there is. 100,000 people is a large metropolitan area, hopefully with a diverse population, diverse enough maybe to support a meditation clinic or a meditation professional who can help you with that. And there's also giving yourself permission and meaning it. There's that voice in your head when you want to do the things that you want to do sexually. And I don't think that voice should always be disregarded. That voice in your head that says, hey, what are you doing? Are you sure? What if mom found out? What if Jesus is watching? And and that voice can be paralyzing and destructive and a negative force. But that voice can also be – welcome that voice can also be trying to tell you something that you need to know or can prompt you to examine a situation or examine the people you're with or examine your own actions or motives in the moment and scrutinize them in a way where you might conclude that this isn't a good choice for me this isn't healthy these aren't the people that i want to be with this isn't the person i want to be if you are doing shitty things yourself in that moment so i don't want people to be completely free of their inhibition sometimes that voice in your head that Bringing the inhibitions to the forefront is going to draw your attention to something you need to know, something relevant, something you need to pay attention to for your own health and safety, for the health and safety of your partners. So what do you do in your case? No drugs, no alcohol, meditation, too great of an investment of time. There is the monologue in your head that is saying, are you sure? No. Oh, my God. What will Jesus think? Mom might find out. Ah, people are going to think you're a slut. Ah. And you can say – you can reason with that voice. You can argue with that voice and you can interrogate the points it's make. mom is never going to find out. If mom finds out, that's because mom is nosy and looking at my email and prying into parts of my life that mom doesn't have a right to pry into any more than I have a right to pry into my mother's private life. Jesus doesn't fucking care. You can argue back if it's a religious thing. Jesus really doesn't fucking care about this. The people who tell you that Jesus cares so much about gay men having three ways or straight people having premarital sex haven't read the Gospels where Jesus here on earth, had nothing to say about any of this shit. Really, not one fucking word. If this was the most important thing to Jesus, which is the impression you get from right-wing religious organizations, our sex, private sexual contact, homosexual acts, if these were the most important things to Jesus, you think he might have brought it up in the Sermon on the Mount. Blah, blah, blah. That guy never shut the fuck up. That's part of what we love about him, probably what they love about him. Had so much to say in his brief sojourn here on earth, And you think he would have worked in a little bit about don't put your penis in other men's butts if it was that important to him. You can reason with the inhibiting voices in your head. You can argue them to a standstill. You can win the argument with them. But every once in a while, you know what? You won't win that argument. I've been in situations where there was a voice in my head saying, ah, wait. And initially I was like, ah, that's just shame. That's just inhibition. And then it kept coming and I was like, no, wait. This is not – Good, not help. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I want to do. Not who I want to be with. Not who I want to be. And I extricated the, myself from those situations quickly after paying attention. It's a fine line. It's a balance. Don't want to obliterate those inhibiting voices, but you don't want to be paralyzed by them either. Bringing this down out of the airy-fairy clouds, practically, you've been offered the opportunity with a couple of couples to have a three-way. You were tempted. You would like to do this. This might be something you want to explore. Be honest with those guys. Tell them that you don't have the option, because you're sober, no shame, no judgment on them if they're able to use responsibly drugs and alcohol, but you're sober, and you don't have the option of papering over the inhibition of the discomfort with a little glass of wine or a puff of pot. So you're going to need to take baby steps and feel really comfortable with them, which means they're going to have to invest in you a little bit, get to know you a little bit, demonstrate that this isn't just treating you like, a fleshlight they found by the side of the road, but treating you like a person, a very special guest star. Ask them if they can treat you like a very special guest star and not a dirty t-shirt on the floor. That's going to be returned to the floor when they're done with it. That doesn't mean they have to be a throuple with you. That doesn't mean they have to make a lifelong commitment to be your best friend, or this has to be an ongoing thing necessarily, but you want them to treat you like a human being before, during, and crucially, after. You have this fun with them, even if nothing more comes of it. And see how they respond. And if they respond negatively, if they act all affronted that you might want to be treated like a human being and not a fleshlight or a dirty t-shirt, they would be the wrong guys to have that three-way with or explore whatever other kink you want to explore. If they're willing to make an investment in you and have what is a successful short-term relationship, if it's just a one-off, and then be kind and decent to you in the future going forward – That should help you with those inhibitions, the sense that you're being treated like a human being by other human beings, and you're going to have this adventure with them, and you will be safe with them. Not just your sobriety will be safe with them. Your body, your psyche, your emotional life, your erotic inner life, all of that will be safe with them. But these guys want you. They got to earn you. Hey, Dan.
5: I am a 30-year-old trans-inclusive bisexual male, and I need your help because I think my dick is broke, and I don't know what I can do about it. I'm physically in good shape. My doctor says there's no reason why I can't maintain a lasting erection, but for the last four years, I've suffered from wilting after only five minutes of an erection, and my body can be lit up like a light bulb, but the little soldier never stays at attention for long. And What happened to me four years ago was the end of a toxic and sometimes sexually abusive relationship and I'm long since emotionally over this relationship, but my sexual prowess has taken a nosedive. I've casually dated and had several lovers. So my problem is not situational. So I think it must be psychological, but I have no idea where to begin. And I'm scared because I honestly began considering Viagra in order to facilitate my lover's penetrative orgasms, but I'm only 30 fucking years old. I need a real long-term solution, both for myself and the lasting satisfaction of my future partner. Do I have penis PTSD and can it be healed? Help me, Obi-Dan Kenobi. You are my only hope. My cock is in your hands.
2: Well, I'm so honored that your cock is in my hands. I can't tell you. <laughs> I, I think every call should end with, Dan, my cock is in your hand. I don't care if you have a cock or not, listeners. Just end with, Dan, my cock is in your hand. My spiritual, <laughs> psychic cock. I appreciate it. Um, I'm calling because I think the problem here is the narrative you've created to explain your wilt, which is completely psychological. Mm-hmm. You know, If your doctor says you're healthy, there's no reason for this. It's just there's a zap on your head. And, you know, your penis yeah. wilted a couple of times. And I think what you did was you asked yourself, why is this happening? And the obvious yeah. answer, the, 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 the narrative you created to explain it was, well, I got out of a toxic relationship and it destroyed my penis. The problem with you telling yourself this story is that it reinforces the problem. It might not even be the reason, but it can harm you going forward because you're never not going to have this toxic relationship in your past.
5: Yeah. There's always that performance anxiety right before um you know uh, the intimacy begins as well. Like oh my gosh is this going to happen again?
2: Right right. You didn't have it before, you have it now. So it, right. and that's totally a problem with somebody who's you know dick goes south a couple of times in a row, then they're like ah they're going to be nervous every single time when everything appears to hinge on their erection and in reality in good sex with creative partners everything doesn't hinge on an erection. There's lots that you can do. Yeah that you can pivot to in the moment that takes the pressure off your cock. But the first thing you've got to do to take the pressure off your cock is stop telling yourself that this is about the toxic relationship. There are millions and millions of people out there who got out of shitty toxic relationships. There's no link between getting out of a shitty toxic relationship and erectile dysfunction. Stop telling yourself that.
6: Okay. Okay.
2: The next thing you have to stop telling yourself is that using Viagra is admitting defeat somehow. A lot of people use Viagra who have the psychological zap on their dick that you seem to have. And it helps them bridge the gap. It helps restore confidence in their cock. And they don't become then dependent on the drug. You know, a few, you know, six, seven orgasms, six, seven erections in a row that are reliable, you begin to believe in your dick again. Your dick is Tinkerbell, and you're not clapping. You don't believe. (laughs) Tinkerbell's going to die if you don't believe, and you don't have faith in your cock. And it's paradoxical. Yeah, so well, that was a
5: major like, concern. Believe in your cock, have faith a chemical dependency.
2: And Viagra can help you get there, right? It can be a tool that restores okay. your faith and confidence in your cock. It doesn't have to be something you use for the rest of your life. Though some people do need to okay. use ED medications for the rest of their life, and there's no shame in that. It's a medical condition. Just like vaginal dryness in some women doesn't mean that they're not turned on, doesn't mean they're not attracted to their partners, doesn't mean they're deficient or defective. They just have a condition that, Thank God there's a patch for, there's a fix for. There are lubricants that yeah. are available to them, right? There are
5: medications. All of these that are all validations are pinging those places in my heart that are hard to hear.
2: Well, okay. <laughs> what, yeah, well, how, 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 why are these things hard it's, to
5: hear? It's, is it okay? Can I give myself permission to you know, be confident in myself again? Can I give myself permission to be a, a strong and confident and powerful lover again? Yes, but, um, but and, none of that hinges on
2: yeah. whether or not you have an erection 24 hours a day or absolutely positively every time you wished you had one. You can be a strong and confident lover and say to someone, "We're gonna, my dick's not in it right now. I'm going to eat your pussy or suck your cock until you explode. And, yeah. and, and if you
5: pivot to... I'm good at that. Got really good at that.
2: Well, good. And if, often if you pivot, maybe you've had this experience, you know, you're trying to have penetrative sex, the dick isn't there, you shift to playing with toys or oral or rolling around or manual, and suddenly your erection comes back because the pressure's off. Have you uh, had that experience?
5: Yeah. I mean, yes, it does come back Do like an hour or, or like a lot of foreplay, rolling around, having fun. Yes, it comes back. But it's still that five-minute wilting thing. Like, as soon as the awareness is back, Mm five minutes, and then it's wilting again.
2: As soon as the focus goes back on your dick. As soon as you start putting pressure on your dick again. Stop putting pressure on your dick.
5: Well, sex is not phallocentric, right? Sex is not always phallocentric. But it would be nice to sometimes be able to provide um, a a penetrative orgasm.
2: Right. And, And I want you to be able to do that. And I think the trick for you right now is to take the pills... Take the medical yeah. intervention and don't feel terrible about it. Feel blessed by it. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> okay. And get a cock Hashtag ring. blessed. Get a cock ring as well. Oh, okay. And yeah. use both in tandem together while telling yourself, this has nothing to do with my f- toxic relationship that's always going to be in my past. Stop creating mm-hmm. that self-fulfilling prophecy, that dick deflating self-fulfilling prophecy. Also tell yeah. yourself, sex, and it sounds like you don't have a phallocentric idea or concept of uh, of sex that sex is many faceted for you good focus on that and tell your partners Mm. in advance if it's a new partner lower their expectations and take the pressure off (laughs) i'm serious maybe the first few times you get with a new partner say to them i don't even want to have penetrative sex the first time the first couple of times i want us to really get to know each other's bodies i want to roll around sometimes you know i'm hard sometimes i'm not doesn't mean i'm not into it let's do this And just take penetrative sex off the table because that's another thing that's putting pressure on you. This expectation, particularly in opposite sex encounters, that it's always going to end with vaginal penetration, and the whole time in the build-up to that moment, you're going, "Oh God, I hope I have an erection." "Oh God, I hope I have an erection." "God, I hope I have an erection." "I hope I will." "Hope Hope I will." And you can think about nothing else. If penetrative sex isn't on the menu, that loop isn't going to be playing in the back of your head, which destroys boners, kills. (sighs) Okay.
5: Yeah, I'm totally gonna. I'm totally gonna secretly refer to my penis with a Tinkerbell spell.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you got to believe, and, and, and I really think that okay. Viagra can help you believe. Viagra is the pharma- pharmaceutical industry clapping for your Tinkerbell. Let them do it. Okay, take the pills. Yeah, I mean, there's need- not
5: there's not much information for you know just uh, somebody who doesn't want to go to the doctor and literally literally bring up the V word to to hear about like objective information on it. is it chemically dependent? Will I put myself into a, a corner um, with the, with a drug? but to, if I can use it just enough to get my confidence back to do, to sprinkle the, the Tinkerbell spell mm-hmm. um, and put, you know, play around with a uh, cock ring and, and see how it's, like, just watch myself blossom and unfold and right kind of flip that switch. So I'm not repeating that narrative in my head over and over and over. If I can it, do
2: that. You can do that. The, but I want to okay. challenge you that there are some young people, some guys your age who have ED and need the drugs Okay, and may need them and it's okay. for the rest of their lives. And that is okay. Just like it's okay that there's some women who experience vaginal dryness who are going to need a bottle of lube by the side of the bed all their right. lives. Doesn't mean that their pussies don't work. Oh, wow. That's a
5: really good correlation. I never paid up. The-
2: Take the pills, get the pills, get the cock ring, stop it with the toxic relationship narrative and take the pressure off your dick by telling your new partners in advance that you don't have a phallocentric concept of sex and at least the first couple of times you just want to roll around, mutually masturbate, oral sex, and really explore each other's bodies before you move on to penetrative sex. And then take a goddamn pill and put a goddamn cock ring on. Take it from me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) For sure. Good luck.
3: Hey, Dan, about a month ago, I met a guy online and we hit it off really well. Um, he's been separated from his wife for about six months. Well, the minute that she found out he was out having fun with another woman, me, uh, she decided that he wanted it or she wanted him back and he went to go try it one more time. The marriage was rocky the whole time. They've been married pretty much. He's doing it for his kids. What do you think that the success rate on that would be? You said that he's never felt more alive. He was pretty much close to dead when um, him and I met and everything has been perfect and all of a sudden he, she wants him back. So he went.
2: You ask what the success rate is for guys who were thinking about leaving their wives, got a new girlfriend, and then went back to their wives because they're kids. What the success rate for that might be? And I don't think that's the real question here. I think the question you're asking is, should you wait around for this guy? And the answer there is probably not. This is a guy who dated you, told you all sorts of, lovely romantic things about how you made him feel alive and then the minute his wife snapped her fingers apparently he went running back to her and dropped you like a hot turd hurting your feelings and making you wonder whether he was telling you the truth and he might not have been telling you the truth who knows maybe he says this to all the women he cheats on his wife with when he's thinking about leaving her you just can't know so the question isn't what the success rate here might be and i imagine there's not a lot of data out there i don't think this has been the subject of much research but i imagine the success rate is lowish but there are a lot of couples out there who live for drama and they break up and get back together and separate and get back together and while they're separated they date other people who they discard when they get back together and they leave a lot of battered and bruised egos and psyches and former temporary partners in their wake i don't know if this is this guy's mo you spent some time with him had he left her before had he dated other women and gone back to her in the past that you are aware of if the answer to that is yes, if you were the third or fourth girlfriend that he's had while he's been married and then he's gone back to the wife each time, you shouldn't be sitting at home hoping their marriage collapses and he'll come back to you because that could be unlikely because this isn't a bug in their relationship, this kind of drama. It's a feature and it's what keeps them both in it because they both want that. If indeed that's what's been going on here and I can only speculate, it's over You got dumped. That's what happened. You got dumped. He left you for someone else who happens to be the person he was with before he met you. And that hurts and it sucks and you can wish them ill and hope that it collapses and that it's not a success. Or you can just get the fuck on with your life and go find somebody else who's not encumbered by – Spouses and dramatic marriages and kids and other shit that is going to complicate your ability to form a lasting bond with that guy Didn't happen with this guy. This guy dumped you went back to the wife Time to grieve it Slam that door closed create your enclosure. Go find somebody else
7: Hi, Dan, I'm a heterosexual woman and I have been in a loving relationship with a great guy for the past five months Within the first 10 minutes of having met him, he told me that he was polyamorous. I am not poly, but I was intrigued and would consider it as a way of life myself, should the right man or men come into it. I fell for him in part because of his honesty and authenticity around this topic. My lover travels a lot, and his other two relationships are in other countries. Early on in our relationship, I broke up with him because I felt the polyamory was at odds with what I wanted from him. In part because his Facebook posts include the two of us when we are together, and then, of course, other Facebook posts when he is with the other women. We had a long phone conversation about my feelings towards seeing these posts, and I decided that I could try compartmentalizing my relationship with him. Since that conversation, uh, he hasn't posted anything relating to these other women, so I haven't been mentally challenged again. So here's the crux of the story. He came to visit me for a couple of weeks in my home. One day, about a week after he had left, I noticed a couple of dried, milky white streaks at the bottom of my full-length mirror. On the floor were a few more large spots of the same look. I asked him in a message if he jacked off in front of my mirror. We laughed about it, and I jokingly said I would leave a box of tissues next to the mirror for the next time. Then in the same message string, he said, I have a confession. And then he wrote... I videoed it, and I used your small vibrator, too. So I took that in and typed, you're a little kinky, and he said, yes, he likes to push the envelope. A couple of mornings later, I woke up and realized a burning question needed to be asked. I messaged him, who did you send the video to? He answered that he was surprised that I didn't want to see it, but he did send it to one of his other lovers. So I posed to you, Dan, two questions. The first one is my biggest concern. Does this act as being in my home, jacking off in front of my mirror with my vibrator and sending the video to another lover seem duplicitous? I mean, it occurs to me that he isn't capable of being content with wherever he is at any given time. Also, do you have any statistics on the percentage of women who actually enjoy receiving videos of their lovers jacking off?
2: First things first. Your boyfriend, this guy that you've been seeing for a while, told you that he's poly, told you he has lovers in different countries. And that's a fine thing and he disclosed that right away and you opted into this relationship. But it sounds like the kind of relationship that you would like to have is a DADT open relationship, a don't ask, don't tell open relationship, where you're never confronted with evidence of your partner's extracurricular sexual activities, that there is a space created where you can live in a kind of Not denial about the fact that you're in an open relationship, but suspended disbelief about the fact that you're in an open relationship where your partner goes to some lengths to cover their tracks, to not torment you with mental images that you would prefer to not be tormented by. And that's a completely valid option. It's also a good control. Some people worry that if they have an open relationship that – Their partner, who may be more sexual than they are, have a higher libido than they do, is going to spin out of control or constantly rub your nose in all these other partners that they have. And having a DADT agreement really limits the opportunities for the partner who is out there acting on that kind of open relationship agreement. Because if they can only do it at a time and in a place and with a person where no evidence is ever going to cross your field of vision, that is going to limit their outside sexual contacts while still, of course, allowing them to have them. Seems to me that you and your new boyfriend need to get on the same page about what kind of open relationship you're in. It's unworkable for him to be in one kind of open relationship with you and you to be in a different kind of open relationship with him. You have to arrive at some sort of consensus. That said, you seem a little offended by the fact that he used his vibrator. I would, in your shoes, be much more offended by blowing a load on my mirror and coming all over my floor and not cleaning it the fuck up. I would also, if I were you ask him where he used that vibrator. If you're using that vibrator as a penetrative sex toy, you don't want him sticking it in his butt or running it up and down his hole. And then you putting that same vibrator into your vaginal canal and introducing fecal bacteria And someone who will blow a load on your mirror and come all over your floor and not clean that up is unlikely to clean your vibrator before returning it to your bedside drawer. That's the convo I would have with him. But those are the questions you asked. You asked this question at the end. What's the statistic? How many women enjoy receiving videos of their lovers jacking off? And I don't think that there's data there. That's not the kind of study into human sexuality that the CDC or any other – funding organization is going to underwrite. I hope though that the percentage is pretty high. We're not talking about an unsolicited dick pic here. We're not talking about leaping out at someone from their DMS on Instagram or Twitter with a dick pic, a dick attached to someone that you don't know from Adam and that you didn't want to see that shit's not okay. And guys should knock that the fuck off. But you're talking about your boyfriend sending video of him jacking off to one of his long-term regular sex partners to one of the women he's in relationships with on the other side of the world and your assumption seems to be that that would never be welcome that no woman in the world would want to see that and you're projecting your discomfort your sex negativity onto these other women who for all you know like his dick and like to look at it and appreciate being thought of and want to see him blowing those loads at times when he's not able to blow them with him and maybe they're sending him similar videos in return sometimes when we talk about unsolicited dick pics there's this creeping kind of phallophobia not that people should want to see unsolicited I don't want to see unsolicited dick pics but it spills over into nobody wants to see a dick ever at all and that's just not true And hopefully isn't true of the vast majority of women out there who are partnered with men. Tracy Clark Flory wrote this terrific piece for Salon about sexting with her husband and how this had improved their sex life. And they were monogamous and they would flirt during the day, sometimes send each other dirty text messages, dirty pictures, dirty videos. And it enhanced their sex life, enhanced their connection. So there's at least one woman out there who's written about welcoming the solicited dick pic or solicited dick video. Sounds to me like these other women, the other women in your boyfriend's life. Welcome these videos. I can't imagine they would still be with him if he was sending them unwelcome dick videos. I don't think this is relevant, though, to your problem or your situation or your relationship. What's relevant here is you two need to get on the same page about the kind of open relationship you're going to have and you're going to be in. And he needs to be considerate of your possessions of your surfaces your mirrors your floors and not leave spunk lying around the house for you to step in or slip on or clean up for him particularly spunk that's being produced by him for someone else for someone else's pleasure and enjoyment their visual pleasure and enjoyment that's a dick move and then there's a dick move of grabbing your vibrator and using it without your permission and without including you in the sexiness so yeah lots to talk about with the boyfriend
1: Hey Dan, I'm a mid-twenties male, uh, gay male calling from um, the West Coast, and I have a question about dating etiquette. Um, In the past, I would uh, always uh, date men that I would um, not usually have sex until, you know, maybe the fourth or fifth meeting. And we had much more um, strong relationships. And I think part of it was because I was like afraid of STDs when I was younger more. And now that I'm older in the era of uh, prep, um, et cetera, um, I find I meet uh, guys like on dating apps or um, at a bar or through friends uh, that are really nice guys. But if I go to bed with them the first or second time, the relationship or I mean, our connection can kind of fizzle off pretty fast. And I'm wondering, is this something to do with the, like, the guy? Is it something to do with, like, having sex too soon? Is that something that can make, like, a relationship fizzle out? I'm just a little confused because a lot of my straight friends, um, this can be, like, a pretty common thing. Like, you have sex and then suddenly, you know, you're in a relationship. Or even with my gay friends as well. So I'm just sort of wondering if there's, like, any correlation between, like, having sex early on and um, a relationship not coming to be and it being more of a hookup. Any advice you have would be great.
2: An Insta hookup can definitely turn into a relationship. If you think about the same-sex couples, you know, even the opposite-sex couples, you know, there are probably lots of examples if your friends are the types of people who are honest with you about how they met, who are in long-term committed, successful, stable, loving relationships that began with a sleazy one-night stand or an anonymous sexual encounter or an app-facilitated hookup. That said, there are more people on the apps looking for an instant hookup and only an instant hookup. So you're selecting when you go to the apps for more of those types of guys, guys who are interested in only the hookup. Now there are going to be plenty of guys on the apps and everywhere else who are interested in more than a hookup too, but their numbers are going to be fewer. So I would advise you to continue doing what you're doing, continue having the sex that you want to have with the people you want to have it with and communicate to them, whether you're meeting on an app or meeting through friends or meeting at a club that you are looking for the sex you'd like to have right away, but also open to more and then see what happens. But this isn't really about dating etiquette, caller. This is about strategy. And your previous strategy sounds like it was a more successful one for you. doesn't mean that you have to wait to have sex to have a long-term, lasting, stable, loving, committed relationship. Again, lots of people out there in long-term, loving, stable, lasting, committed relationships who met via apps or anonymous or nearly anonymous one-night stand hookups. So that can work. It hasn't worked for you in the way that you would like it to. And I would encourage you then to return to the strategy that previously worked better for you. Not because it's a better strategy all by itself, but but it was clearly the more successful strategy for you. Whatever you bring to the table, sexually, emotionally, you had better outcomes waiting. So I'd encourage you perhaps to think about reverting to your more successful prior strategy. You can continue to meet people on apps and chit chat and flirt and you can tell the people that you meet on apps, I'm not into an instant hookup. And immediately, that filters out all the guys who are only interested in an instant hookup. Tell the guys that you meet even on apps, you want to hang out a few times. You need to get to know somebody first before you are sexual with them. And if they're not willing to make that investment in you, well, they're not Open to or interested in a relationship or a relationship with you, and you can move on, and eventually you'll find the guy who is interested. So access the apps, use the apps, but bring your previous dating strategy to the apps with you.
8: Hey, Dan, 21 year old female living in the Boston area. Um, I was just calling to ask how I should go about interacting with my Trump supporting mother. I am gay. You know, she's been remotely supportive of that trait that I guess I have for the past six years that I've been out. But I called her to let her know about what about Trump's attack from Planned Parenthood. And her response was incredibly shallow, narrow minded her saying that everybody should pay their own way, this, this, and that. And I reminded her that my older sister had actually gone to Planned Parenthood for screenings, for pregnancy tests, for just like advice multiple times when she was young and in high school. And she, when I called her up this morning about it, she was very upset saying that I attacked her, saying that I ruined her day, all of these things. I mean, her and I have always bumped heads it's really taking a toll on our relationship. I I don't know what to do. I don't know what I should say to her in the future. I don't know how I should go about talking with her about these topics without her, her going into this, I don't know, victimized mode where she takes everything I say and acts like it's a personal attack on her. I'm losing space that her and I will ever actually connect again or actually ever really truly get along. If you could just say anything or tell me anything that I could tell her in the future that would kind of just either find a middle ground or just shut her the hell up, that would be great.
2: Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Cecile Richards. She is the president of Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood Action Fund, a lifelong progressive organizer with roots in the labor movement and a leader in the resistance against Trump. Hey, Cecile, how are you? Doing great, Dan. So great to be on the phone with you. And likewise, thank you so much for making some time for us and jumping on the phone. Uh, let's get right to it. You frequently have to discuss Planned Parenthood with people who not only uh, rhetorically attack and malign and slander, the life-saving work your group does, but have the political power to to harm your organization, want to defund and end Planned Parenthood. Uh, any tips or pointers on conversing with just mom who doesn't have that power? You must have some. <laughs>
9: Well, I think that, look, it's, there is sometimes a, mis, a misunderstanding about who comes to Planned Parenthood. As I like to say, you know, folks don't come to us to make a political statement. They come because they need access to affordable health care. And for a lot of young people, and particularly a lot of young men and women who may live in an area where they can't access, you know, sort of unbiased, uh, non-judgmental, uh, sexual and reproductive health care, Planned Parenthood is the best place to go. So I try to remind people that one in five women in this country have actually been to us for care uh, and that crosses all kinds of, um, all kinds of boundaries. Um, I, you know, I was interested that, uh, you know, this, that this young woman is dealing with a Trump supporting mom. You know, Trump supporters come to Planned Parenthood, too. So I think it's something that to remember that, that um, we really do kind of reach into all, all parts of America. I think it's important, uh, and I, I really want to applaud the caller for just saying, hey, look, um, you know, a lot of folks use Planned Parenthood who need care, including folks in our own family. And she may not be able to convince her, but I think just putting the facts out there are really incredibly Important and again, um, it's it is a source of affordable care. And one of the things I always like to point out is we're actually at a historic low for uh, teenage teenage pregnancy in the U.S. And that's that's a success story that pretty much everybody in the country supports. And that's the kind of work that Planned Parenthood does every day.
2: And that success story is rooted in large part. In access to contraceptives, particularly long-lasting contraceptives like uh, IUDs and maneuverings and implants and Planned Parenthood makes that That's possible. Right. Planned Parenthood is probably the single biggest driver of the fall in the abortion rate in this country.
9: Yeah, I know this is it's interesting because, you know, I do have to go to Congress a lot and try to explain to uh, some of our elected officials why defunding Planned Parenthood would be a really bad idea. And as you say, I mean, we do more to prevent unintended pregnancy, uh, probably, and the need for abortion than any organization in America. And we have made, particularly because under Obamacare, birth control is now covered uh, for all people at no cost. We've made enormous strides in reducing unintended pregnancy, and also getting people the kind of birth control that works best for them, which sometimes is, has been unaffordable. So, to me, we should just we should continue and double down on this progress instead of trying to cut off access to care uh, to to places like Planned Parenthood that are serving people who otherwise will probably go without health care.
2: What do you think animates the right wing maniacal hatred for Planned Parenthood when Planned Parenthood? achieves in large part a right-wing goal, bring down the abortion rate. And you know, when you confront these people and, and, and you present them with the facts mm-hmm. that access to care decreases uh, the abortion rate, that banning abortion isn't going to make abortion go away, people will still get abortions, they'll just be dangerous and unsafe right. abortions. As we've seen in countries that have banned abortions, abortions don't stop, women die. Is that what they want? Mm-hmm. What, why can't they accept the facts? What is driving this kind of culture comp? This culture war uh, against Planned Parenthood because it's not the data, it's not the empirical facts uh, on the table that that inspire it. What is it? This obsession on the right with destroying Planned yep. Parenthood, which didn't used to be a right wing obsession. George H. W. Bush was a big Planned Parenthood supporter. That's Mitt right. Romney was a Planned Parenthood supporter. Donald Trump was a Planned Parenthood supporter. What happened? Mm-hmm uh so uh, there's a lot of
9: questions in there so it's and it 's hard to unpack it in just one uh, one um with one particular answer but I do think look we 've seen unfortunately in the republican party this uh, sort of take over by the extreme right wing, but they're really their primary process. And I think the difficulty is now, yes, it used to be a very mainstream position to support Planned Parenthood. And in fact, Republicans started Planned Parenthood all across the country. Like I was just in Arizona where Barry Goldwater's wife was like one of the founders of, of Planned Parenthood. So it it didn't used to be this way. But I think what we're seeing in Washington is this hyper-partisanship around a whole host of issues. And Planned Parenthood uh, is, is part, part of that. I think the second piece of that is, look, there are some people in this country, and unfortunately, many of them are in Congress, who frankly don't want women to be doing anything other than uh, having sex in order to procreate and have more babies. They don't want to see them in the workforce. Uh, they find them a threat. Uh, and that is, honestly, that's kind of been the, the core value of Planned Parenthood from the beginning, a hundred years ago when we started was that, you know, if women could control the, you know, when and whether they had children, they could do all kinds of things, like finish school, like get a job, like support the family that they they wanted to have. And that, in large part, has uh, come true now. And women are half the workforce, and we're more than half the graduate students in the U.S. I think there are still men in this country who pine for the days in which women didn't have those options. Uh, And that, unfortunately, again, I think a lot of them are in elective office.
2: I've always perceived a large part of the problem on the right with Planned Parenthood is that it does facilitate in their fevered imaginations sex for pleasure, not sex for the actual reasons you're supposed to have sex, which is just sex to make babies, which is crazy because we have a lot more sex than we do babies. Even the Santorum's only managed, I think, seven.
5: We have sex (laughs) for pleasure.
2: We have sex for pleasure primarily and sex for kids rarely uh, even if we yeah. never use birth control, we're not going to have a kid every time we have an orgasm. And that ties, I think, the the movement for uh, women's equality and reproductive justice to the gay rights movement. Because the yeah. problem that so many people on the right have with gay people is the same problem they have with women who are having sex without risking sexually transmitted infections, without risking an unplanned pregnancy. We're having sex for pleasure and fun and getting away with it. And that drives them crazy. Right.
9: Oh, completely, and I know that you uh, certainly feel um, the wrath of these folks, just like just like we do. But yeah, I mean, the threat of, of people having sex freely and enjoying it and without the fear of either pregnancy or a sexually transmitted uh, infection, yeah, is is something that some people can't wrap their heads around. One of my favorite statistics, which kind of refers back to what you're saying, is was from the, from Guttmacher, which is that the average woman in this country uh, that wants to have children, spends five years getting pregnant and having children, and then spends an average of 30 years trying not to get pregnant. And so, you know, when we when you go to Congress and try to say, hey, you know, birth control, it's it's really popular. Everyone uses it. I think it's just a good reminder that for many women, and I'll include myself in that, uh, preventing an unintended pregnancy is kind of a lifetime job. And thank goodness we now have better birth control. Because of Obamacare, we have better access to birth control. And we are hell bent on preventing Donald Trump and this administration from taking away that access to care.
2: Something you said a little earlier that it's a big part of your job to put the facts out there. I like to think that everyone who Mm -hmm. listens to my show is familiar with the actual facts about Planned Parenthood, the work you guys do, the the help you provide people with. But every once in a while, I get a call from someone or I meet somebody who says they're a listener or reader who is so wildly misinformed about Planned Parenthood's mission – and what Planned Parenthood actually does. So for those small handful of listeners out there who haven't been paying attention every time I've talked about you guys or tried to raise money for you guys, tell them the facts. What does Planned Parenthood do, do, briefly?
9: Sure. So we just celebrated our 100th anniversary, so that means we've been doing this for roughly 100 years, although when we started, of course, birth control wasn't even uh, legal. But every year, we see almost 2.5 million patients in our health centers, and we're, we have health centers in every single state except for North Dakota, where we do education but um, don't have a health center there. We do an enormous amount of testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections, and in fact, one of the fastest-growing populations coming to Planned Parenthood are young men uh, because, if, again, if you're wanting a place that's not, uh, not going to judge you, not going to embarrass you just give you the care you need in a lot of communities, including my home state of Texas, that can be uh, planned parented. We also do for so many women who come in for um, they may come in for birth control because they got to have that. But then we can provide them, uh, you know, breast cancer screening, uh, cervical cancer screening, a basic well woman visit. So a lot of our patients, we're actually the only doctor visit that they will have all year. And then the last thing, which I think is really important, Dan, and just, and certainly may be news to a lot of your listeners, is we're increasingly providing transgender care uh, across the U.S. We're in 18 states now, and that's continuing to grow. Um, and we do, uh, we offer PrEP in 44 states. Uh, we think it's really important, as so many folks in the LGBTQ community come to Planned Parenthood for care, uh, that we're, you know, increasing access to those services as well. So that's okay. kind of the in a nutshell.
2: One last question. You mentioned that Texas was your home state. Your mom was the second female governor and last Democratic governor of Texas. There's a lot of talk about turning red states blue. I often hear about turning Texas <laughs> blue, but it's really turning Texas back to blue, blue again. How do we do it?
9: Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's complicated, right? I mean, Texas is a... It, it, it's true that it used to be a democratic state, like, way, way, way back, you know, when I was a kid, but it wasn't really a progressive state. Um, and so I do think sometimes a democratic party in the South was isn't always associated with the best values. That's true. Um, but you're right. There was a moment, um, there was this crazy moment when mom was governor, and um, frankly, the whole statewide ticket were, were democratic and very progressive. Um, and then then we kind of went into this very dark and cold um, place where we've been now for a long, long time. I think the thing about Texas, and it it gets to another issue that I just feel passionately about, which is voter rights and the ability of people to participate. Texas isn't really even a red state, it's a non-voting state. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, under the the last two governors, they've done everything they can to prevent people from registering to vote, from voting at the polls. I mean, they like constantly purge people from the and so I do think at the point when, when – if people in Texas could vote easily, um, uh, it would actually be, I believe, a democratic state again. And it will be. It will be in our lifetime. It's just – it's taking longer than it should, I think.
2: Well, we saw in Alabama where similar moves have been made by Republicans to make it harder to vote. So a lot of people – got out there and voted anyway just to to throw it back in their faces. And hopefully that's what more and more people in Texas will do. Circling back quickly to the caller because we're very far afield at this point. Is it okay if you – with your parents, if you just can't bring them around on an issue, to agree to disagree and make sure you get four or five of your friends registered to vote where your parents live so that they can can dilute your parents' toxic voting patterns? Is it okay just to like not talk about it? Oh, absolutely.
9: I mean, look, I was really, I'm really proud of the call for just like laying out the facts. But at some point, I don't think you have to waste your time trying to convert everybody in America to either the cause of Planned Parenthood or anything else. And in fact, I think sometimes we waste too much time on the people who are just frankly, not interested in new information. And as you say, there are millions, millions more people, particularly young people who may have never voted before, who need to get registered, who may need someone to like remind them to go vote. And that can be incredibly effective.
2: A better, a better use of your time and energy than arguing with mom who's never going to come around.
9: I think that's right. Although, you know, I also think that sometimes, you know, you never know, you may, she may have said something to her mom that her mom is absolutely, you know, hell bent against listening to right now. But she's not going to forget that her daughter said that. And so I do think it's it, it's it's important to never give up. Um, but also, at some point, you can quit beating your head against the wall and, and just move on. And that's what I think we've seen this year. It, and I, you used Alabama as, as example. But I mean, millions of people have now become either politically active, or they've been active on a social justice issue that have never been active before. To me, that's what we should be focusing on is just is encouraging um, that kind of participation and, and not, not trying to worry about the last folks that we may never bring over.
2: Cecile Richards, president of Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone today. I Appreciate it.
9: Absolutely. Good to talk to you, Dan. Take care. Hi, Dan. My husband and I have a question.
8: We're interested in possibly having sex in front of another couple, and we aren't necessarily interested in a foursome. We're more interested in individually having sex with each other in the same room with another couple. And we both want to do it with a couple that we're sexually attracted to, um, but also maybe friends with, so that we feel comfortable and safe. I'm just wondering if you had any advice about how to go about asking friends or people that we trust to do this. We don't want to ruin some of our really great friendships, and we're not quite sure how to approach this.
2: You can ask friends if they might be interested in watching you two have sex or having sex at the same time in the same room while you two have sex. You are risking the friendship. There are some friends who, if you ask them that question, they're not going to feel comfortable around you anymore. They're going to wonder whether you are ever interested in their platonic friendship at all or if you were just plotting the entire time to kind of bank shot, kind of, sort of, get in their pants. There's another option, which is to use the great internet sex-facilitating, kink-facilitating machine to find some couples out there who share your kink, who would like to do exactly what you two would like to do. Not have sex with other people, but have sex with each other in front of other people that they find sexy. And then make friends with those people. Become their friends. Let your friendship grow from that. Sometimes work or volunteering or living in the same apartment building or having some mutual friends bring people together and great friendships grow out of those meetings those bringing togethers a great friendship can grow also from a bringing together that's purely sexual at first circling back to the friends that you've already got that you would like to fuck in front of how sex positive are they how sexually adventurous are they have you guys ever made out in the same room in front of other people who are making out at a dance thing or a party. Is there something in your relationship that allows for conversations about sex and kink and desire where you can put this on the table without necessarily saying, would you with us? You can say, if you have a friend that you share your fantasies with, we have this fantasy about having sex in front of another couple, but not sex with that other couple, but in front of them without saying to the person that you're discussing it with, how about you? But it opens the door. And they may have fantasies that then they share with you or they may say, oh, my God, we have the same fantasy. And then Yahtzee, you're in. That's the less likely successful scenario, though. The more likely successful scenario is reaching out on the internet, seeking out other couples who have the same fantasy that you guys have, getting together to live those fantasies out, and then seeing if you have enough else in common that you can also be friends with those people. And very often, in my experience, that is not just possible, but highly likely.
6: Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a young male uh, in my thirties. I'm um, straight, and I'm a tough case. I'm not sure if you're up to the challenge. Are you? Anyways, this is my issue that I'm issues that I'm facing. I'm still a virgin, and I've never been in a relationship. Uh, and nobody has loved me, and I haven't loved anybody. I dated here and there, but it never went anywhere. And on top of this, two years ago, I I lost most of my libido. On top of this also, I think I'm experiencing premature ejaculation or some form of impotence. I'm not sure. Maybe it's a lifestyle, maybe stress, uh, maybe the fact that I'm in a situation not very good in my life or like I'm doing a job I don't really like. Like I don't have any friends because I moved away in a big place and I've been alone for no friends for 10 years. I have friends abroad that I communicate with, but other than that, and I'm pretty shy and introverted, kind of artsy person. I wonder if you could help me.
2: You need a doctor, you need a therapist, you need a sex worker, and you need a hobby. Those are my recommendations. I'm really sorry. I'm not making light of the pain that you're in. And as a shy, introverted person myself, yes, it's true. I understand how you can become isolated in the way that you become isolated. This has been going on for 10 years. You need to break out of your patterns and you need to reach out and ask for and get the help that you need Go see a doctor about the premature ejaculation and or impotence problem. If you speak to a doctor about the way your dick works and your doctor shuts you down or shames you, that's something wrong with that doctor. That's not something wrong with you. Go find another doctor. Keep going to doctors until you find one. And it shouldn't take more than one or two attempts before you find one who is willing to take your dick's function seriously and treat it if there is an underlying medical problem. And you should also see a therapist to talk about shyness and being introverted and to strategize in a practical way with your therapist, how you can work around and overcome those blocks to making the kind of human connections that you would like to make. I also think you should see a sex worker. You're a virgin at 30. You are not the only one. There are lots of compassionate, understanding sex workers in the world who really regard their mission, and their work as healing, not just ball draining, but for many people, healing. And I know it's a commodified relationship and you are having to pay for it and there is a stigma attached to that, but we have all sorts of commodified relationships in our lives, professional relationships with people that are loving and compassionate and supportive. Think of people who see the same hairdresser for decades and have a commodified relationship. They pay that person, they tip that person, but they also have a strong interpersonal connection. They do have a relationship that aside from the exchange of goods and services for cash is valid. And a hairdresser, like a lawyer, like a doctor, like a sex worker can be an important part of a person's emotional support system. And for some people who are 30 year old virgins and really uptight about it and nervous about their skills or their lack of experience, a sex worker can be a good transitional figure in their emotional and sexual and erotic life, lives, journeys. So don't feel like a loser if you have to see a sex worker the first time. It's how you see a sex worker that makes you a loser or not. If you see a sex worker and you are angry about it and you are unkind to the sex worker that you're seeing or you're so paralyzed with shame or self recrimination that it ruins the experience for you. You're bringing that to that interaction and you can let go of that and be just like I told the caller earlier to be glad of the existence of Viagra rather than feel somehow defective because of the existence of Viagra, which can aid him. Be glad of the existence of the kind of loving, compassionate sex worker that might be able to help you, Bridge that gap in your erotic, emotional, sexual journey. Get a hobby. Shy, introverted. Get out of the house. Make yourself useful. Find other people who enjoy some of the things that you enjoy. You're, wherever you are, you are gainfully employed. I hope you're not working around the clock or working a job that doesn't leave you with any energy or ex- expendable income at the end of the week to get out there and do other shit. So ask yourself, what is it that you enjoy? And find the organizations, find the groups, find the volunteer activities that will toss you together with other people who may be just as shy and introverted as you are and force you to interact, force you to have conversations because you're working on something together or doing something together. There's a reason why so many shy, introverted people make their best friends or find their best friends at work because they have to interact. They have to talk. They have to connect. Now, some people are so paralyzed or so caught up in their own bullshit that they can't make those connections. They don't allow themselves to make those connections or they discount those connections. That's just a workplace friendship and that's bullshit. And don't tell yourself that. And that's also something you can talk about with your therapist. At the end of the day, there's nothing that I can say that will knock down the walls that have sprung up around you. You have to break out of them. You have to pick up the sledgehammer in the form of a doctor, a therapist, a sex worker perhaps, and a hobby, and you have to knock those walls down yourself. If you're calling me about your circumstance, that means you're not happy with your circumstances. You have the power to change your circumstances. It won't be instant. It will take time. It will require sustained effort. You will think you've made a friend and realize this person isn't your friend or that connection isn't what you thought it was. And then you get out there and you keep trying. You remind me in a way of young closeted people. Those are those four walls around them. But one of those walls is a fucking door or has a door in it. You can leave the closet. And people leave the closet, the safety of the closet, when they conclude that the misery in the closet can't be as scary or awful as whatever they might encounter outside it. It sounds like you're at that point. The misery in the room that you've constructed for yourself, in the closet that you're in now, Can't be worse than whatever you might face by opening that door and knocking that wall down and walking out there and making yourself vulnerable in front of your therapist, your doctor, your sex worker, your new friends from whatever activity or hobby or club or organization that you join. You have to do this for yourself. I can't do it for you, but it can be done. Get out there and do it.
10: Hi, Dan. I'm the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. Um, I am a 27-year-old cisgendered bisexual female living in Boston. And I would love your advice on how to communicate with somebody. Basically, the story is um, I was at my best friend's house who I used to date, and she was sleeping on her couch. I was hanging out with her fiance, who's a man, and we were, you know, schmoozing, we were talking, getting to know each other a little bit better. I'm in their wedding, so um, I wanted to get to know him a little better. We were drinking, um, and then he started feeling me up. He, um, his hands slid up my leg, and he was touching my butt and in between my legs, like my crotch area, um, and I froze. I froze as a defense mechanism. I was very uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do or how to, how to react. I've had sexual abuse in my past. And freezing is something that happens sometimes for me and I'm working on it and I'm seeing somebody talking to somebody and that's going really well. But the problem is that I didn't advocate for myself at the time. It took me a couple minutes and then I said, that's my butt. And he said, sorry, not sorry. And then he left the room. I didn't tell my friend the next day. Um, I think I was trying to kind of justify his actions in some way, like maybe he Didn't know what he was doing or, you know, whatever stupid excuses. So basically, um, I told my friend about a week later and I was emotional and it just kind of fell out of my mouth. She was mad at me because I should have told her sooner and rightfully so. that was a learning moment for me. Uh, She was mad at him because he felt me up and uh, she and him talked and they're fine. Me and her talked. We're fine. I have not talked to him about it. He was drunk and supposedly doesn't remember doing it. And I want to confront him about it. And the problem is that I don't really forgive him. I don't like him because of this, you know, and um, I want to communicate effectively. I do want to work in a relationship. I do want to communicate with him for her sake, but I just don't know what to say. And I'm worried that I'm just going to come across as angry because I am, and I'm going to burn some bridges.
2: You say you don't want to come across as angry. But you're angry and you have every right and reason to be angry. And then you ask me for advice on communicating effectively, worried that you might come across as angry while you're communicating. Well, that seems to me like effective communication because you are fucking angry about what he did to you. I also think you should be angry at your quote-unquote best friend for being mad at you for not disclosing this to her sooner. You were victimized by her fiancé. Her fiancé put you – in a, an impossible position, really, where you would have to go to your best friend and, and tell her something that could potentially end the relationship. They'd have to call off the wedding. How embarrassing humiliating, was with that. The fact that you froze again is completely understandable. And your friend should be able to understand that and see you as the person here who was victimized by a man she claims to love. So her reaction to be mad at both of you When you were victimized by her fiance, yeah, that's kind of fucked up. And if I were you, I would not want to take the edge off my anger. I would want my quote unquote best friend's fiance to understand how angry I am. I would also want my best friend to understand exactly how angry I am, not just with her fiance, but also with her. You have a history of sexual violence. You froze in the moment. The moment wasn't just the moment. His hand was on your ass and between your legs. The moment was that week that it took you to go tell your friend what happened. What, not just what happened, it's passive language. What her fiance did to you, sexually assaulted you, which, and I like that you qualified this, he supposedly doesn't remember. I'm pretty sure that if you remember it, he remembers it too. And he needs to take some responsibility for it. That should be the bar that they both have to clear for you to remain in their wedding or show the fuck up at their wedding. You were wronged, not just by him, also by her. They have both wronged you. You deserve an apology from both of them. And he needs to take responsibility for what he did. I don't want to sow discord. I don't want to the marriage of true minds to admit impediments. But you might want to sit out the wedding. If they can't come through, both of them with the apology that you deserve, if he can't take responsibility For what he did, you might have to put this best friendship on the back burner for a while. He revealed himself in that moment to be the kind of person who sexually assaults his wife's or fiancé's best friend while his fiancé is asleep on the couch in the next room. As Maya Angelou says, when someone tells you who they are, believe them, as she said. God bless Rest in peace, Maya Angelou. He told you who he was at that moment. You told your best friend who her fiance is. She has forgiven him or chosen not to believe you. He has refused to take responsibility for his actions. I think your best friend is in for a rude awakening if she stays with this guy. This wasn't a one-off. It'll happen again. If you don't want it to happen to you, don't be alone with him. But it'll probably happen to other friends of hers. She'll divorce this guy one day for this shit. And then you can resume your friendship when she takes you to lunch and tells you that she should have listened to you back then when you told her and apologizes for getting mad at you when you shared something with her that she needed to know before the wedding.
11: Hi, Dan. I'm a cisgendered bisexual 25-year-old woman, and I have been involved in a relationship with a man for about seven years. A couple years ago we agreed we weren't getting what we needed so we evolved our relationship. Started looking into monogamy and I moved to a different city than him. I started happily dating women and I saw him from time to time. We continued to have a close emotional relationship, talking every day on and off with a sexual relationship and we went as we went through the growing pains of our changing relationship. Now that I'm exploring my sexuality, we started talking about sex. So naturally, I started it started getting really good. Most recently, he started seeing some, someone from work. Um, this woman lives with her abusive boyfriend of years, and it seems as though it's a messy and complicated situation. Regardless of the drama, I was getting really excited with him about his crush, and I was giving him advice. It was really great, compersion all the way. However, there's issues here. He's not willing to tell her that I'm still involved in his life. Me being into only ethical non-monogamy, I am not okay with that. Not only does it make me feel insignificant, I also don't think that she should be lied to. I really think if they're having sex, she should know if he's sleeping with other people. And on top of that, he wouldn't promise to wear a condom. So I pulled myself from our sexual relationship. And if there's any chance of a future threesome, I'm not going to mess it up by being a part of that lie. And he still insists that he's not breaking any rules or having low ethical standards, which is surprising because he's been an amazing ethical feminist our entire relationship. On top of all that, she's cheating on her dangerous boyfriend, and I'm worried for their safety. My question is, am I just being a big baby, or am I justified in dipping out of this big hot mess? And also, do you have any advice for him?
2: So he's sleeping with you. He's also sleeping with her. She's lying to her abusive boyfriend about the fact that she's sleeping with somebody else, and he's lying to her about the fact that he's sleeping with you. Back the fuck out of the room. Call your friend, call your long-term partner and say, this is going to end badly. This is the sort of shit that is going to blow up in your face. Maybe you're not actively lying, but you're allowing her to assume you're not sleeping with other people or maybe you're actively lying to her. But in the end, this is going to blow up. And I don't want to be standing next to you when this blows up. So we're going to take a little break because I don't think that you're doing it Right. There's a lot of people out there in poly and non-monogamy land who say, oh, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. And even in BDSM and kink land, you hear that too. Really, in monogamy, you're not doing it right. Non-monogamous, you're not doing it. Everybody's always saying that to each other and people should generally err on the side of not saying you're not doing it right to each other. But this is a circumstance where you should say, you're not doing this right. You're not being honest. You're taking huge risks. You're inviting a lot of drama and chaos into your sexual and romantic life. And I don't want to be a part of your sexual romantic life while you're inviting this chaos and drama in because the chaos and drama is going to come. And the dangers to someone who's dating a woman who has an abusive partner are real. The dangers primarily fall on the shoulders of women who are dating abusive men But there's no shortage of stories out there of abusive boyfriends or husbands or exes killing not just their wives and girlfriends, but also their wives and girlfriends' new male partners. So the risk here is real, not hypothetical, not theoretical, real. And you should say that to your fella, to this guy that you've been with for five years. You should also say to him, look, want to be in your life. We can continue to talk what you're lying to this new girl about also lying to her about the fact that we continued to fuck her. we were fucking up until this moment. But for now, we're going to hit the pause button. Reach out to me. Happy to hear you out. Happy to chat. Happy to tell you honestly what I think about what's going on in your life and the choices you're making. So don't reach out to me and confide in me if you don't want to hear it. But for now, while you're making these risky, potentially self-destructive choices, we're not together. Not in the same way that we were before. Uh, This is a comment for the caller who is looking for a way to uh, dismount from the new woman he's been dating who reminds
6: him of his abusive ex. Um, I would just like to call bullshit on that. Let's back up one click and see. This is a man playing the field, playing tag and
2: release. He's looking for, he's met this woman, he's chatted her up, had sex with her a couple of times, and now, shocker of shocker, She reminds him of his ex, and he's looking for a way to throw the fish back and keep on fishing. I'm not making a moral judgment on an action. I'm just saying let's call it for what it is. He's not a victim of his previous ex-abuse. He's just a dude playing catch and release, looking for a guilt-free way to throw the fish back. That's all that is, no more, no less. We all have abusive exes in our past.
6: Don't use it as a crutch. Just admit you're playing the field.
8: Hi, um, I'm calling in response to someone who has an older partner and um, she's not getting enough daily interaction. And I would tell her, look, I'm in my late 40s, even my mother can text. Uh, This isn't an age thing. This is a difference in relationship style. Uh, This person is not someone who really wants a daily uh, interactive relationship. Leave her.
0: Hi, Dan. The new sub-female who's feeling guilt after scenes. I completely agree with you, Dan, on the importance of aftercare. I would also like to mention that doms need aftercare too, so they should communicate about that as well. It is an intense act, physically stirring up chemicals and emotions. Um, And one thing that I find important is to check in with your dom or sub, just even a call or a text a few days later, because there tends to be a bit of a low feeling that hits after a couple of days for a lot of people, even the most experienced kinksters. And I didn't catch if she was going to public dungeons or not, but if she is, I would recommend um, looking around her and she'll notice Couples holding each other and being warm and kind and communicating. And also for me as a dom, I find it really helpful just to rub some bruise balm on my subs. And um, for me, it's an intimate act and it shows that you care about their healing
2: And we're going to leave it there. Quick note, in addition to going to itmfa.org and ordering some pink gear to support Planned Parenthood, you can support Planned Parenthood directly by going to plannedparenthood.org slash donate. Even if it's just five bucks, there's two things. Organizations like Planned Parenthood can point to when people make donations, not just the amount of the donations or the money and support they're getting, but the numbers of supporters they're getting donations from. So please don't be shy about making a 5 or $10 donation. Every little bit helps. And adding yourself to the numbers of Planned Parenthood supporters out there, even if you can't shower them with money, is also a huge help. All right, 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Selfish Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206 2064 If you like my political ranting at the top of the show, you will love me on Blabbermouth, the Strangers News of the Week podcast hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Eli Sanders. Me and Rich Smith and Eli, we tear it up every week. Look for Blabbermouth wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Cecile Richards on Twitter at Cecile Richards. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Yes, I am verified. I am a real Fake Dan Savage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll I'll be back at you next week on no the installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for. Dying.